We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. And away we go, episode 145 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, September 15th, 2021, the day before we either experience elation or misery, the day before the Washington football team faces the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football. You know, Pat Riley many years ago said one of the greatest things that anyone in sports has ever said, there's winning and there's misery. That's so true. There's winning and there's misery. Well, an 0-2 start for Washington uh, would be misery, relatively speaking. We don't want misery. We want happiness. We want joy. Will we have that come Friday morning? Well, Taylor Heineke is going to have a lot to do with the answer to that question. I have for you next segment a proper deep dive on Heineke with him now being Washington's starting quarterback. I believe that Washington in Heineke has its most mobile starting quarterback since peak RG3. Yeah, Heineke brings a dimension that we have not seen for Washington at the quarterback position since 2012 Robert Griffin III. What might that mean? 
for Thursday night against the Giants. We on Tuesday had post-practice press conferences for, among others, Heineke, Ron Rivera, and Chase Young. All of them talked Heineke. All of them had good stuff to say. I'll take you through that, as well as spend some time on the Washington football team defense. What's going to happen with that defense on Thursday night. Is the defense going to bounce back off what happened in the season-opening 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon? No, Daniel Jones is not Justin Herbert, but also no, Washington has never beaten Daniel Jones. Also on the show, a John Wall update. Did you see the latest about Wall and the Houston Rockets? It is further reason to pat Tommy Shepard on the back for the job that he did in getting the Wizards out from underneath the burden. That is that Wall Supermax contract extension. I will talk Nationals off an offensive eruption in an 8-2 win over the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on Tuesday night. I'll give you some thoughts on the Orioles. They lost to the New York Yankees 7-2 at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night. But the bigger item is the O's shutting down a rather promising player for the rest of the season, and the O's may soon be shutting down Trey Mancini. Uh, by the way, rest in peace, Norm McDonald. What awful news to come out on Tuesday. Norm McDonald dead off a private battle with cancer. He was 61, one of the great comedians of the last 30 years, one of the all-time great cast members on Saturday Night Live. Norm McDonald as Burt Reynolds on Celebrity Jeopardy, is one of the greatest bits you'll ever see. He did so much more than just that. Uh, The deadpan delivery was just so good. You know, there are people who try so hard to be funny. There are people who call themselves funny, even though they're not funny. And then there are people like Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald made being funny seem so effortless, seem so easy. And we know that being funny isn't effortless and isn't easy. These comedians put in so much work to be funny. But you know you're really good when you can be funny and do it in the way that Norm MacDonald did it. He was not a tryhard. You know, you have a lot of tryhards out there. Norm MacDonald was not a tryhard. He was an all-time great and uh, just really bad news. Uh, very saddened to see that yesterday. Norm MacDonald dead at the age of 61. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Philip C., the PhD, on Washington's season-opening loss to the Chargers. Writes Philip, when I see a score such as 2016, I normally blame the offense because the defense gave up fewer points than the league average, which was 24.7 per team last year. However, the analysis is not so simple if the time of possession is lopsided as it was in this game. Our vaunted defense had trouble getting off the field. This led to the lopsided time of possession, approximately 36 minutes for L.A., to only 24 minutes for D.C. So I divided each team's total points by its minutes of possession and found out that per minute, we outscored L.A. by a slim amount. Assuming a theoretical equal time of possession shows that the normalized score would have been 2017 in favor of Washington. Therefore, the dominant blame, if you will, for this first loss of the season lies with the defense and its inability to get off the field. Oh yeah, Heineke. Uh, yes, thank you, Philip C., the PhD. And as Chase Young sang when he was mic'd up last season, Heineke. Let's get it there, Heineke. Heineke.
Yes, Chase. Exactly. Well, good stuff, Philip. Uh, so you hit on something that I said on Tuesday's show, episode 144. Washington's offense, while certainly not great on Sunday, was not a complete disaster either. Uh, you do have to say, though, that the lopsided time of possession was due in part to the offense. Washington went just 3 of 10 on third down. So you have to note that. But as I noted on Tuesday's show, the Chargers averaged 5.4 yards per play. Washington averaged 5.3 yards per play. The difference was the number of plays. The Chargers ran 78 total offensive plays. Washington ran just 49. Email from Mark Bennett on Ryan Fitzpatrick suffering this right hip injury in week one of the season as just one game into the season, we are once again in the midst of a season in which Washington starts multiple quarterbacks. Writes Mark, what we have witnessed since Joe T to Bobby Three Sticks, the QB plague of this team, if what we have seen to this point was foretold to you back then, you would have thought that person was crazy. Yeah, man, no doubt. Joe Theismann suffered his broken right leg in November 1985, and Washington hasn't had a true franchise quarterback since then. November 1985. The closest thing to a franchise quarterback Washington has had since Joe Theismann broke his leg, Mark Rippon. He, of course, won a Super Bowl, but Mark Rippon was only a good Washington starting quarterback for three seasons, 1989 through that 1991 Super Bowl championship season. If you define a franchise quarterback as having to be good for more than three seasons, and I personally do, Washington hasn't had a franchise quarterback since Theismann, who basically was a good starting quarterback for Washington from 1979 through 1984, although there was some variance in there. But that's the thing, by the way, about Theismann in 85. He was not having a good season. So like it was probably ending for Joe Theismann anyway, but no doubt. I mean, that was horrific what ended up happening to him in November of 85. Thank you, Lawrence Taylor. Uh, when will Washington have its next true franchise quarterback? We've only been waiting for nearly 36 years, but that remains maybe the biggest question of all with Washington. When will it have its next true franchise quarterback? Well, if you have questions or concerns regarding your skin, uh, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist at Mohs Surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. And specific to skin cancer treatment, the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offers something very special and cutting edge. Superficial Radiation Therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment that's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and a downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT unlike many other dermatology practices in the area. And SRT is covered by most insurances. 
To find out more, to have your dermatological needs met, call 301-396-3401. That phone number, 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number one more time, 301-396-3401. Or visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, game number two for the Washington football team in the 2021 regular season is on Thursday night, Washington versus the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday night football at 8.20. Good injury news for Washington on Tuesday. Antonio Gibson was a full participant in practice. It was on Monday that Washington listed Gibson as theoretically having been limited in practice. Even though Washington did not practice, uh, Monday's injury report was an estimation of what would have happened had Washington practiced, but that injury report revealed Gibson to be dealing with a shoulder ailment. Tuesday's injury report was a legitimate injury report as Washington did practice on Tuesday, and Gibson was listed as a full participant in practice. So good news there. Gibson, in fact, is the only currently active Washington player who has been listed on the team's injury reports this week. It's an odd deal with Washington right now because in some ways, Washington is really healthy. But in other ways, it's crazy to say that Washington is really healthy. Two of the team's top three acquisitions in free agency this past offseason are on the reserve injured list. As yes, Washington on Tuesday officially placed Ryan Fitzpatrick on the reserve injured list due to his right hip injury that was suffered in the season opening 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Tuesday said that he would not put a timetable on Fitzpatrick's return. Here was that. Right now, there is no urgency in terms of, of time frame. That's one thing we won't do with injuries. We won't tell you guys we'll be back in a week or two, you know, because you never know how it is and we don't want to put pressure on players. Yeah, so we are flying blind in terms of when Fitzmagic might be back. The corresponding roster move to Washington, putting Fitzpatrick on the reserve injured list was the team signing linebacker Jared Norris from the practice squad to the active roster. And of course, Fitzpatrick joins Curtis Samuel on the reserve injured list as Washington on Friday play Samuel on the reserve injured list due to his groin injury. We haven't really talked about that. You know, so much for the Curtis Samuel groin injury not being that big of a deal. The dude now is on the reserve injured list. Uh, we have no idea if slash when Fitzpatrick will play again this season. We certainly believe that Samuel will play this season. Uh, He better play this season. In case you don't know or are unclear, the NFL this season has the same rules as the NFL had in the 2020 season in terms of players returning from reserve injured lists. An unlimited number of players can return. A player on a reserve injured list is eligible to start practicing after spending three weeks on the list. His team then has 21 days to place him back on its active roster. By the way, for the Giants, tight end Evan Ingram and left guard Shane Lemieux, each listed as not practicing on Monday and Tuesday due to injury. And so Taylor Heineke now is Washington's starting quarterback. He against the Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday night will be making just the third start of his NFL career in terms of the regular season and postseason. Yeah, that's it. 
This will be just his third NFL start in terms of the regular season and postseason. Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, was supposed to be Washington's QB1 this season. Taylor Heineke now is Washington's QB1 this season. How might that impact Scott Turner's play calling on Thursday night? Ron Rivera on Tuesday at his post-practice press conference. I think Scott's going to listen to him. I think what will happen is, you know, what, what most coaches do after each day, they, they go over to the tape, they talk about what worked and what didn't work, what looked good and what didn't look good. And a lot of times, one of the things that you always ask about, too, when you're putting game plans together, at least I know that's what I did, and I believe Scott does that because I, I know Norv did that, is you always ask the quarterback, what do you feel best with? You know, I used to ask the defensive players, what do you guys like best? What do you feel like best? What do you communicate best? What do you do best? So you're going to get that. It, I mean, that's nothing new. It, it just, you know, most quarterbacks and, and, and coordinators work very well together in terms of, of what they're going to do. Not for Taylor specific, but with a guy like Ryan who has been around, you probably have a feel that, okay, he kind of knows what he's talking about. And Taylor has been a quarterback, but not necessarily at the NFL level a ton. What, what, when, it, when, you get, when you have a younger quarterback or a more inexperienced quarterback, when do you kind of know that, okay, I can kind of trust their instinct here, that they kind of do have a good feel for what they do and what works for this team? My thing is just from what you've seen. I mean, we've seen Taylor do it, you know, in three different situations. You know, um, last year, Carolina, and then what he did uh, the other day was pretty impressive as well. So I think you're going to trust him enough to know what he likes and doesn't like. Um, I think you're going to trust him to know what he thinks he can do well. Uh, I, I think that's where he is. I think we, that's where we are with him. And, and, and I'll say this too, you know, when, when, when you have a young quarterback, one of the things that you do tend to do is, based on what you've seen, is you, you, will, you will tend to call what you think he does best, more so than anything else. And, and I think that's one of the things that um, you know, I appreciate about Scott, because what Scotty does really is he games plan, and then he, he does things that are, are best suited to the people he has on the field. And that's what a coach should always do, right? Adapt to the personnel. You have your basic principles. You have your tenets. But within them is the flexibility to adapt and modify, given who you have as players. And when it comes to Taylor Heineke, what Washington has is its most mobile QB1 since Robert Griffin III. Yeah, Taylor Heineke is Washington's most mobile starting quarterback since RG3. It's funny that RG3 on Monday was lobbying on Twitter for Washington to sign him because the truth is that the guy who Washington is rightfully going with instead, Taylor Heineke, is the biggest run threat of a quarterback who Washington has had since Robert. The last truly productive season for a Washington quarterback in terms of rushing actually is RG3's second season, that 2013 season. RG3 actually was an impactful runner for Washington in a season other than his epic 2012 rookie season, although uh, Robert in 2013 did not embrace the read option to anywhere close to the degree that he did in 2012. I mean, that 2012 season really is an all-timer. That season is on the short list of the greatest seasons ever by rookie quarterbacks. Robert in that 2012 regular season rushed for 815 yards and seven touchdowns. He led the NFL in yards per carry at 6.79. But still, RG3 in the 2013 regular season had 489 rushing yards and averaged 5.69 yards per carry. He wasn't what he was in 2012, but he still was a viable run thread uh, when he wanted to be. But Washington over the last seven regular seasons, 2014 through 2020, has gotten very little from QB1s in terms of rushing. 
Uh, RG3 in the 2014 regular season, over nine games, totaled just 176 rushing yards. Kirk Cousins, over his three regular seasons as Washington's QB1 2015 through 2017, never missed a start, but totaled just 323 rushing yards. Yeah, 323 rushing yards total for old Kirky from the 2015 regular season through the 2017 regular season. And Kirk, over those 323 rushing yards, averaged just 2.96 yards per carry. Although, to his credit, he did total 13 rushing touchdowns from the 2015 regular season through the 2017 regular season. How about Alex Smith? Uh, Alex Smith was not at all impactful as a runner during his time as Washington's QB1. And I'm really focusing on what happened with Alex Smith as a runner prior to his right leg getting mangled. Uh, But Alex in his first season with Washington, 2018, if you remember, was oddly skittish in the pocket, totaled just 168 rushing yards over 10 games. Then, of course, he suffered the badly brutalized right leg in November 2018. And Alex in the 2020 regular season off his right leg, having been mangled in November 2018, totaled just three rushing yards on 10 carries over eight games. Yeah. Alex, last regular season, three rushing yards on 10 carries over eight games. Uh, Josh Johnson was a mobile QB1 for Washington over the final three games of that 2018 regular season. Uh, Josh, over four games, three starts for Washington that season, 23 carries for 120 yards and a touchdown. But still, you know, 120 yards over four games, three of which were starts, isn't that impressive. But Josh Johnson could move. Uh, He actually did, I thought, a pretty admirable job as Washington's starting quarterback late in that 2018 regular season. Dwayne Haskins, uh, he was more capable as a runner than he seemed to give himself credit for. Uh, Dwayne, in his 2019 rookie season, averaged 5.05 yards per carry over 20 carries. But Dwayne, in the 2020 regular season, in seven games, including six starts, averaged just 2.3 yards over 20 carries. And there's irony in that, because remember, one of the big storylines in the 2020 offseason was Dwayne getting himself into better shape. And Dwayne coming into 2020 training camp, you know, nice and fit and ready to be more mobile than ever before. And yet uh, this uh, apparent newfound fitness didn't seem to mean anything in terms of Dwayne using his legs more. He used his legs far more in his 2019 rookie season. And then, like I said, Alex in the 2020 regular season. I mean, it's still amazing. Eight games, six starts, 10 carries for a total of three yards. Washington's most impactful rushing quarterbacks over the last seven seasons have been backup quarterbacks. You know, you think Colt McCoy, you think Josh Johnson, you think Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke last season. Heineke over his mere three games for Washington in the regular season and the postseason. 12 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown, of course, being the unforgettable touchdown and the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wild card game this past January. The spectacular third quarter, third and five, eight-yard shotgun scramble touchdown run. Heineke's legs are true weapons that extend plays and make plays. Heineke can be a legitimate run threat in the read option the way that Robert was in 2012 and in 2013 uh, when he wanted to be. I'm not saying that Heineke is 2012, Robert. I'm saying that Heineke is the closest thing that Washington has had to 2012, Robert, since 2012, Robert. And that to me is exciting and something that Scott Turner hopefully will exploit. In addition to this, Heineke is a baller. 
Heineke is a playmaker. Heineke is a gamer. In fact, Heineke on Tuesday did a post-practice press conference and was asked whether he agrees that he is a gamer. Um, I mean, I somewhat agree with it. Um, it playing in a game is a lot different than practice. Um, in practice, you really want to stay in the pocket, go through your reads, um, and, and kind of see th- things from the pocket, you know, in a perfect world. But everyone knows during a game, things break down, um, holds open up, and, and you know, sometimes I can use my legs. So uh, the biggest thing for me is to have my legs be my last option, really trying to get the ball in those playmakers' hands. And if things break down, then uh, my legs can be a check down. Very interesting hearing Taylor Heineke say that my legs can be a check down because that's something that was said of RG3 in 2012. His legs were the check down. That's what Mike and Kyle Shanahan told Robert. Your legs are the check down. And that way of operating worked in spectacular fashion. Now, of course, the concern with Heineke, uh, as was the concern with Robert as time went on, right? The injury history. Uh, Heineke has had a very hard time staying healthy. He has a substantial injury history, despite having made just two regular season slash postseason starts in his NFL career. And so that mobility can be something that gets him into trouble. Given that, this was Ron Rivera on Tuesday at his post-practice press conference on where Heineke has grown the most since Ron had Heineke in Carolina during Ron's time as Panthers head coach. Well, I think just understanding the game even more so, you know, his importance and, and the fact that he doesn't need to, to, to put himself in harm's way. I think that's one of the things if you watch the way he played. Um, he's learned to be patient, take what's given to him. Uh, and, and, and I think he has a real good feel for when he takes his shots, too. Yeah, Heineke has got to do a good job of walking that line of being competitive, being a baller, making plays, but also avoiding injury. That's not an easy line to walk. That's not an easy balance to strike. But Heineke this past offseason put on weight, supposedly 15 pounds. He bulked up. He got jacked. Uh, This was Heineke on Tuesday on how he felt coming out of that loss to the Chargers. Yeah, I felt good. Um, I guess that's not not something I really think about during the game, but after the game, um, I can kind of tell a difference. I was, you know, a little sore, but that's gonna, that's football for you. It's not a matter whether you're hurt. Everyone's hurt. It's whether, you know, you just stay not injured. So um, fortunate enough to come out of the game not injured, and hopefully we can just keep that rolling. Hopefully. Uh, the last thing that Washington needs is another quarterback injury. Did the added weight help Heineke avoid injury in the loss to the Chargers? Did the supposed extra 15 pounds make a difference? Um, that way helped. I mean, I got hit, you know, a couple times during the game. Uh, it didn't hurt as much, I guess you could say. Um, but the biggest thing, again, for me this offseason would put on weight but not lose my speed and agility. And I feel like um, I did a good job of that. So a big goal of mine throughout the year is just to keep that weight on, keep the strength up, and keep the speed up. So, um, you know, working hard every day in the weight room. Now, of course, helping to avoid injury for Heineke would be Washington's pass protection being better. Washington's two new starting offensive tackles, Charles Leno Jr. and Samuel Cosme, had issues in the loss to the Chargers. Uh, Leno in the second quarter got torched by edge rusher Uchenna Nwosu, who blasted Ryan Fitzpatrick on what was officially a first and 10 shotgunning completion intended for J.D. McKissick. That was a play on which Fitzpatrick got hurt. Cosme got uh, taken to the learning tree by one of the best edge rushers in the NFL, Joey Bosa. Bosa beat Cosme for an early second quarter, third and 11 sack strip of Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
that Logan Thomas recovered. Cosme for the game for Pro Football Focus, a run blocking grade of 85.8. That's really good. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, but also for Cosme in the loss to the Chargers, a pass blocking grade for PFF of just 15.0. Uh, that's not so good. Ron Rivera on Tuesday on Samuel Cosme. Well, I thought Sam played well. I, I did, based on some of the things that you look at. Sure, there was, you know, there was pressures given up. Again, to your point, look at who he played against. And I thought he had some really good moments, and, and he'll learn from those things. Whether he has success or, 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 or failure, he's going to learn. The, the one thing that did happen that, you know, when you watch the tape, you study it, you know, a couple times he got anxious and, and, and his technique broke down. You know, he, he kind of reverted to some of the things that you saw on his college tape. And that's one of the things that, you know, he's got to continue to work and trust in his technique. Um, that's probably the biggest lesson he learned. Because when you watch the, 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 the issues he had, a lot of it was caused because, you know, he got anxious. Uh, he reverted. You know, and, and that's one thing. It, it's the, the young guys are going to have to experience. You know, the only thing that builds experience, obviously, is, is, is doing it. And, you know, we've, and I told you guys last year, we talked about uh, in Carolina what we used to call 5,000 reps. And that's, that's really what, you know, you're looking for is the more and more opportunities you get, the more and more reps you get, the better you're going to become, the more second nature those habits will be, um, and, and, the, and the more consistent you will be as a player. And that's really what you're looking for from offensive linemen is you want to see guys play solid, consistent football. Um, and, and, and do it the way, you know, they've been coached. And, you know, with Sam, he got, like I said, got a little anxious, but, you know, I most certainly wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't throw, throw him to the wayside. I thought he had a good game. I thought he, he, for a rookie coming up against one of the elite pass rushers in this league, I thought he held his own and, and did some good things. And, uh, you know, he is only going to get better, and that's the exciting thing for who he is. Yeah, I thought that was a good breakdown of Cosme by Ron. That game for Cosme against the Chargers was an experience, and hopefully it's an experience from which Cosme grows. Now, speaking of growth, the hope is that Taylor Heineke has grown over these last few months. Has Heineke learned anything from watching Ryan Fitzpatrick over these last few months? More from Ron on Tuesday. Well, I think some of the things that, you know, you watch, and you watch how Ryan throws the ball, where he throws the ball to the receivers. I think that's one of the things that, you know, you can really appreciate because very seldom did you ever see Ryan lead a, a receiver into something bad, you know, and especially in practice. You know, he understood where to throw the ball, where the ball needed to be thrown. And I think that's something that all young quarterbacks learn from when they watch the veteran guys. Look, you hate to see Ryan Fitzpatrick injured. I feel for the guy. I do. But I am excited to watch Taylor Heineke on Thursday night. And maybe Heineke ends up being bad. I mean, who the heck knows? But there's something about Taylor Heineke. Heck, Chase Young is a big fan of Taylor Heineke. This was Chase on Tuesday at his post-practice press conference on Fitzpatrick getting hurt, and then on Heineke, who Chase refers to as Big Tay. Take a listen. Yeah, it was tough. Um, You know, not... It didn't even look like it, he got hurt for real during the play, um, but he said it just came down wrong and he knew something was up. Um, you know, Heineke, Big Tay coming in. Um, we know what he can do. Um, I think he can start on um, any other team in the, in the league. Um, so, you know, at that position right now, I don't think anybody's really too worried. I think we Taylor can come in and do it and, and, and sling it. Yeah, Chase Young is a big fan of Taylor Heineke. Remember, it was a mic'd up Chase Young who sang Heineke's name. Let's get it there, Heineke. Heineke. 
Yes, exactly. Very famous clip right there. So we had that last season from Chase Young. And then on Tuesday, Chase Young dropping that nickname for Taylor Heineke, Big Tay. Heineke, Big Tay coming in. Yeah, Big Tay, as in Tay-Tay, Taylor Heineke. A lot of haters for Big Tay. Uh, I call them taters, Taylor haters. I hope he silences them on Thursday night. Well, Big Tay hopefully is going to deliver like John Grandland of Real Broker delivers. Listen up if you're looking to sell your home. John Grandland's commission flex is a game changer. You know how Ron Rivera talks constantly about position flex? Position flex. Yes, Ron. Position flex. Well, John Grandland offers commission flex. What is commission flex, you ask? It's very simple. Flexible commission rates. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 6%. The days of some flat commission rate, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home, are over. John Grandlin will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. You see, John Grandlin has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, zero commission. Some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Grandlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly, and there is never any obligation to list or sell. You have nothing to lose. Contact John Grandlin and see what he can do for you. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Grandlin. This is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. Call John G now, 703 703- 537-6747. When you talk to John G, make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you ask John G about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747 or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Grandlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron, just like Position Flex. Well, how Taylor Heineke plays will go a long way toward determining whether the Washington football team defeats the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday night. But another big factor in the game for Washington will be the defense. How does the defense respond to its very disappointing performance in the 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon? In case you haven't heard, uh, Washington allowed the Chargers to go an astounding 14 for 18 on third downs, if you don't include the Justin Herbert kneel down on a third and goal at the nine on the final snap of the game. Chase Young spoke on Tuesday by a post-practice press conference. What the heck happened on Sunday with this Washington defense against the Chargers? You know, we just got a, um, went back on film. Uh, it was just something, every place, something wasn't right, I would say. If it um, wasn't a D-line, it was a linebacker, might have not, a, you know, gotten their hole or, you know, just every play, was a, it might have been a different group. 
Um, but, you know, we looked on the film, um, and we flipped that page. So, uh, you know, we're going in game two against the Giants. That's where I mind that. So we know that Justin Herbert was terrific on Sunday. The hope would be that Daniel Jones is not so terrific on Thursday night. Daniel Jones has not been a very good quarterback in his NFL career, although he has done well against Washington. Uh, Daniel Jones in his career against Washington, four games. Washington is 0-4 in those games. Jones in those four games, eight touchdown passes versus three interceptions a completion percentage of 68.25, a yards per pass attempt of 7.15. All right, that's nothing special. But he also has 21 carries for 123 yards. Ron Rivera on Tuesday at his post-practice press conference on Daniel Jones. He runs well with the ball. He's he's a dynamic runner. He's a quarterback that can, can, can take advantage of that. Um, you know, one of the things that we can't do is, and, and, and expect to win is to have the turnovers like we did last year. You know, we got to protect the football, be smart with the football, and uh, take advantage of some of the opportunities we can create. So, you know, then that's been it. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's got a good arm, strong arm quarterback who, who throws the ball well. It's just, you know, we've got to keep him contained and keep him in the pocket. Now, while Jones can run, he also can turn the ball over. Daniel Jones has been a turnover machine in his career. Jones in his career over 28 regular season games, 30 fumbles, including 18 loss fumbles. Jones in the Giants' 27-13 home loss to the Denver Broncos this past Sunday had a loss fumble. He also in his career has 22 interceptions. Chase Young on Tuesday on Washington wanting to make Daniel Jones cough up the football some more. Oh yeah, um, you know we, we've been talking about that um, for the for the past few days. Um, obviously, you know he struggled uh, holding the ball in in in, in the past, um, and that's a big emphasis. So uh, you know going going in on Thursday, that's definitely um, something that's on our radar of doing. Yeah, remember Washington did have two big second half takeaways in the loss to the Chargers. Ron Rivera on Tuesday at his post practice press conference on Washington trying to generate takeaways from Daniel Jones. Yeah, we. I mean, we just got to just got to force them, create them. Um, you know, I, I think first of all, one of the things you got to be able to do is keep him in the pocket. You know, because his athleticism and ability to run, he's he's you know he, he's 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 dynamic. Uh, you know, and again, a guy that can throw on the run is is also a guy you got to be concerned with. So we know, you know, based on some of the things we saw from last year, keeping him inside the pocket is important. And keeping Jones inside the pocket will require discipline—a discipline that Washington's defense didn't display in the loss to the Chargers. Remember what Ron said during his post-game press conference on Sunday, quote, we look at some of the things on the tablets and you can see we've got guys not where they're supposed to be defensively, end quote. Ron has said that some of that was due to freelancing. What was going on with that? What up with that? Uh, especially considering that Washington has this vaunted defensive line. Uh, more from Ron on Tuesday. I think they were anxious. They wanted to make plays more so than anything else. And you watch the way they played. It's not like they got knocked out of it. It's not like they immediately jumped out of it. It's just they saw something, tried to make something happen. And, and, and part of it is the discipline of what we are. You know, and, and that was something that we explained to them and just tried to get them to understand that, hey, you know, the, the play doesn't care who makes it. You get an opportunity to make a play, make it. But don't try and create it because if you do, that's what's going to happen. You're going to make mistakes. And that's, that's, that's eventually what happened to us. And, and it wasn't just at that position. It was several of our positions. 
And so how quickly does Ron anticipate his defense cleaning up the issues that plagued it in the loss to the Chargers? You'll hear Ron's answer to that question, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Washington football team insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. I expect him to be fixed now. I mean, to me, it was more of a matter of, of being disciplined. And that's the thing we talked about. The guy says, you know, it's, again, this is a, you know, th- th- this, this, this defense, the way it's, you know, the, the, it's designed, you know, it's, it's about accountability. You know, you have, you have a gap of assignment. You have a, you have a, a coverage assignment. You know, you have to do it. If, if not and they find it, you know, we'll know. And, and, and that's, you know, that's part of it. And, and as I've always said before, too, we also have to make sure we're putting players in the best position to have success, too. Your expectations are as high as they were. You know. Yeah, they should be. There's no reason for it to change. I mean, for the most part, it's the same front. It's a good group of linebackers that can run, and, and we talk about being improved in speed. Yeah, I expect us to be better. And Washington's defense has to be better on Thursday night than the defense was on Sunday. Can you imagine if Washington's defense begins this season with back-to-back lackluster performances? The entire narrative on this season changes. The defense should be embarrassed by 14 for 18 on third downs. The defense should take it personally that the Chargers went 14 for 18 on true third downs. Did you see what came out on Tuesday about John Wall? I'll get to that after this. All right. Well, Washington football team season has finally arrived, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. We're all excited to watch the WFT this season. Whether you're looking to watch Young Sweat and the defense battle Mahomes and the Chiefs or Brady and the Bucks at home or wanting to travel with McLaurin and the guys to watch them play at Rodgers and the Pack or at Carr and the Raiders or you want to hit up the division games, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. No more of those ridiculous service fees. So here's what you do. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now and use the promo code Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com slash Galdi and use the promo code Galdi. TickPick.com slash Galdi and make sure that you use the promo code Galdi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's been a while since we talked some Wizards. I said, it's been a while since we talked some Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Smith. Uh, There really hasn't been much going on with the Wizards, but we had something pop up on Tuesday that you need to be aware of if you're a Wizards fan. NBA insider Shams Sharania of The Athletic on Tuesday, tweeted the following, quote, Sources, John Wall, Houston Rockets meet and mutually agree to work together on finding a new home for the five-time All-Star guard. Plan is for Wall to be present at training camp, but not play in Rockets games this season, end quote. Yeah. The Rockets, after just one season with John Wall, are done with John Wall. And this just amplifies what was already the case. The Wizards won the John Wall-Russell Westbrook trade, and Tommy Shepard looks really good for what he ended up doing with the albatross, that is, that John Wall Supermax contract extension. So Wall signed that Supermax contract extension with the Wizards in July 2017. The Supermax, a four-year extension worth $171.131 million. The extension began with the 2019-2020 season. Wall, over his last three seasons with the Wizards, 2017-2018 through 2019-2020, played in a total of 73 regular season games due to injury. Last three seasons with the Wizards, 73 total regular season games. We also had what happened with Wall in September 2020. He had to apologize for a video that captured him throwing up gang sign hand gestures at an indoor party at which few, if any, were wearing masks or social distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic. The gang signs really were the thing. Uh, It had been just a few months earlier that Wall and Bradley Beal had marched the streets of D.C. during the social justice protests. I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. Only the Wizards. Only our team. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Uh, You know, I actually don't think that John Wall is a bad guy, but looking back on all of this, man, was it not time for him to go, okay? Like, it for sure was time for him to go, but how could he go? Who would take him? Well, the Wizards, this past December 2nd, traded John Wall and a protected first-round pick to the Rockets for Russell Westbrook. You know what happened with Westbrook and the Wizards this past season. He was far from perfect, but he was a triple-double machine. He helped get the Wizards back into the NBA playoffs, and he ended up being an asset with trade value. More on that in a bit. Wall 
in the 2020-2021 regular season, played in just 40 games for a Rockets team that finished an NBA worst 17 and 55. Wall, this past regular season, shot just 31.7% on threes and had his worst true shooting percentage since his second NBA season. True shooting percentage is a shooting percentage that considers that a three is worth more than a two and accounts for free throws. It's a good one-stop shop to look at in terms of overall shooting. John Wall, this past regular season, had his worst true shooting percentage since his second season in the NBA. Wall entered this offseason with two years left on that Supermax contract extension. He is owed 44 0.311 million for the upcoming season, what will be his age 31 season. He then is owed $47.367 million for the 2022-2023 season, what will be his age 32 season. He is damaged, he is expensive, and the Rockets have no plans to even play him this upcoming season. So take a step back now and evaluate that Wall-Westbrook trade. Yes, the Wizards attached a protected first-round pick to Wall to get Westbrook. I didn't love that, but I said at the time of the trade how clearly that communicated how much the Wizards wanted to get rid of Wall. For all of the talk of, oh, John Wall looks great, and oh, we can't wait to have John Wall back, it was all a con. It was all a ruse, okay? We were worked. The Wizards wanted Wall out of there, so much so that the Wizards attached a protected first-round pick for Wall to trade him for a guy who's older and just as expensive in Russell Westbrook. The Wizards got their one season of Westbrook and then, of course, dealt them this offseason. The Wizards on August 6th officially announced that five-team mega trade with the Los Angeles Lakers, Brooklyn Nets, San Antonio Spurs, and Indiana Pacers. Very complicated trade, but the principal aspects of the trade from a Wizards perspective, Wizards got unrestricted free agent point guard Spencer Dinwiddie in a side-and-trade with the Nets. The Wizards sent a 2024 second-round pick and the right to swap 2025 second-round picks to the Nets. The contract for Dinwiddie reportedly three years, $62 million. The Wizards sent Westbrook and 2023, 2024, and 2028 second-round picks to the Lakers for Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and Kyle Kuzma. The Wizards acquired Aaron Holiday, the draft rights to Isaiah Todd, and cash considerations from the Pacers. And the Wizards sent Chandler Hutchison and a 2022 second-round pick to the Spurs. So Tommy Shepard ultimately, essentially, turned Wall and a protected first-round pick into one season of Russell Westbrook and... Now a bunch of players moving forward. Spencer Dinwiddie, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Aaron Holiday, and Isaiah Todd. Now, it's not that simple because the Wizards also dealt Chandler Hutchison a bunch of second-round picks and cash considerations, but you get the idea. Shepard turned a terrible situation, the John Wall Supermax contract extension, into a bunch of viable players. That is some job by Tommy Shepard. And the job now looks like an even better job, given what's going on between Wall and the Rockets. Look, I have major questions about where the Wizards are going with Bradley Beal and the roster is currently constructed. There's no guarantee that the Wizards this coming season will be better than the Wizards were last season. But the Wizards in Tommy Shepard have a general manager who seems to know what he's doing. And he, for me, gets an A for how he handled one of the worst contracts in all of pro sports. The John Wall Supermax contract extension. The damn Washington Wizards. Exactly. 
Well, the Nationals on Monday night flirted with being no hit for the first time since the franchise came to D.C., a 3 nothing loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park. The Nats on Tuesday night, though, hit and hit quite a bit. An 8-2 win over the Marlins at Nationals Park in Game 2 of this three-game series. Nats now 60-85, and three wins away from guaranteeing that the team will not lose 100 games this season. And so, Davey Martinez, if you would. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, you should be proud of the boys. And you know what, Davey? We're proud of you because Davey had a follow-up procedure on his left ankle earlier on Tuesday and did not manage the Nationals on Tuesday night. Davey's been battling through some physical stuff. We're not exactly sure what the stuff is. Uh, The belief is that he was actually at Nationals Park on Tuesday night, but Tim Bogar, who is the Nats bench coach, he served as the acting manager for this game on Tuesday night. And the game ended up being an easy, breezy win because the Nats hit eight runs on 14 hits and six walks. The 14 hits were comprised of a homer, two doubles, and 11 singles. And how about that homer? A moonshot by Ryan Zimmerman. Mr. National sending a baseball well into the skies on Tuesday night. Uh, Zimmerman was the Nats starting first baseman at number five batter. He in the bottom of the second had a one out opposite field upper deck solo homer to right center field of Marlin starter and former Nats prospect Jesus Lazardo for a one nothing Nats lead. The homer went a projected 442 feet per stat cast. Let's think about this here. Ryan Zimmerman is in his age 36 season, and he on Tuesday night blasted an opposite field upper deck home run. The homer going again, a projected 442 feet per stat cast. That, my friends, is power. Ryan Zimmerman can still hit for power. He finished the game one for five with the solo homer. He did ground into two double plays. He did leave seven men on base. But Ryan Zimmerman is hitting for power this season. He now has 14 home runs this season. He now has a slugging percentage this season of 483. That plays, people. A slugging percentage of 483. You can work with that. There's value in that. Now, look, uh, hitting for power is about the only thing that Zimmerman can do anymore. He cannot play every day. So even like if Josh Bell were to get injured, Ryan Zimmerman could not be the Nationals every day for his baseman. Uh, He does not get on base with any kind of regularity. His on-base percentage for the season is just 285. So he's a guy with real limitations, but he can still hit for power. And there's meaning behind that. And so you wonder about, well, where are we going with Ryan Zimmerman? Because it's possible that these are the final days of Zimmerman's major league career. We don't know. So it's nice for him to have a moment like the moment that he had on Tuesday night, hitting that baseball to the moon. Uh, That was some shot by Ryan Zimmerman. He's playing this season under the terms of a one-year, $1 million contract. Personally, I think if there is a universal DH for next season, the Nats should be open to having Ryan Zimmerman back. Because while I want the Nats to go young, you're not going to be young with every player on the roster. Like, that's just not realistic. Like, it would be lovely if every player on the roster was some hotshot prospect in his age 22 season. That's not the way that uh, a rebuild or a retool works. So if they're going to have the DH next year, I think having Zimmerman back on a one-year, $1 million contract uh, would make some sense. However, if there is no universal DH next year, 
then I think from a baseball perspective, the right move is to part ways with Zim. And I know that it's easy for me to sit here and say that. In the real world, it's a lot harder to do that, to say to Ryan Zimmerman's face, we're done with you. We don't want you back anymore. Now, I mean, you know, you wouldn't say it like that. Uh, But, you know, the Nats need to get younger. The Nats need to get more positionally versatile. And Ryan Zimmerman is someone who is older and who is not positionally versatile. The only position that he plays anymore is first base, and he can't even do that on an everyday basis. So like I said, even if, say, your everyday first baseman gets hurt, you still can't play Ryan Zimmerman every day. So it's like it's a very specific thing that he can do. He can pinch hit. He can start occasionally, but he can't start regularly. But I give Ryan Zimmerman full credit. Again, age 36 season. Remember, didn't even play last season due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and he had 14 home runs, a 483 slugging percentage on the season. We had another productive game for Juan Soto on Tuesday night. Three for four with two RBI singles, another single, and an intentional walk. Soto in the bottom of the third, a two-out full count RBI single to right field for a 2-0 Nats lead. Soto in the Nats two-run fifth drew a one-out intentional walk. Soto in the bottom of the seventh, a one-out single on a well-struck ball that was too hot to handle for Marlins second baseman Eddie Alvarez. Soto in the Nats four-run eighth, a one-out RBI single to center field for an 8-2 Nats lead. Soto now has a major league leading 457 on base percentage. Also now has a major league leading 120 walks. But you know what's also going on with Juan Soto right now? He's threatening to win the National League batting title. Now, personally, I don't get caught up in batting titles. Uh, Batting average to me is a very overrated stat for a lot of different reasons. However, I know for some, there is a romance with batting average. And if you are like someone who is very old school when it comes to your baseball consumption, you really do believe in the sanctity of the batting title. And I'm not someone who likes to tell people how to consume baseball. So if you get all worked up about batting titles, that's fine. You know, you should enjoy sports however you want to enjoy sports. But Juan Soto isn't just getting on base a lot. He's getting base hits a lot. So much so that Juan Soto, as we speak, is third in the National League in batting average at 313. Now, guess who is number one? Yes, the ex-NAD, Trey Turner, now of your Los Angeles Dodgers. So it's possible that over these final few weeks of the regular season, Juan Soto battles Trey Turner for the National League batting title. Also very much in the mix is Nick Castellanos of the Cincinnati Reds. But man, Juan Soto is having some season... He lately is getting on base every game, like multiple times, it seems, two, three, four times, and he was added again on Tuesday night. Also added again on Tuesday night in this 8-2 win over the Marlins at Nationals Park, Lane Thomas. The Lane train keeps going. Lane Thomas gets on base three times on Tuesday night, two for four with a double, a single, and an RBI walk. Thomas in the Nats, one run third, a one-out double to left field. Thomas in the Nats, two run fifth, a one-out first pitch single to left field. Thomas in the Nats, four-run eighth, a bases-loaded five-pitch walk for a 6-2 Nats lead. The sample size continues to grow with Lane Thomas. And while no, do I think he's this good? No. However, I more and more am coming around to the idea of Lane Thomas being the Nationals' opening day starting center fielder and number one batter next season. He is playing his way into an everyday role for next season. Now, does he maintain that role? Who the heck knows? But Lane Thomas now, over 120 Major League Plate appearances with the Nats, has a batting average of 301, an on-base percentage of 392, and a slugging percentage of 524. He's been at it here for a while. 
You know, it's not just like a, a two-week run anymore. You know, this isn't some like cute half-month run anymore with Lane Thomas. The sample size keeps growing. Now, it's still relatively small. I totally concede that. But with each passing game, that sample size grows. And with each passing game, Lane Thomas, it feels like, gets on base two or three more times. How about Cape Ruiz on Tuesday night? Your Nationals catcher, three infield singles. You know, Cape Ruiz has not had a lot of success so far at the major league level with the Nationals. But Ruiz on Tuesday night, three infield singles. This was bizarre. You do not see this often from catchers. For, I mean, you don't see this often from anybody, but especially a catcher, right? Three infield singles. And yet that's what Ruiz did on Tuesday night. Bottom of the second, a two-out infield single on an 0-2 pitch. Bottom of the sixth, a one-out infield single. And in the Nats, four-run eighth, an infield single. Here's the thing with Cape Ruiz. He has not hit well so far at the major league level with the Nationals. But he has a reputation for being a very good bat-to-ball guy, being a good contact guy. And we are seeing that at the major league level. He's making outs, but he is putting balls in play. And there's something to be said for that. Like, if you are watching these Nationals games, Caper Ruiz is not lost when he's batting. Now, he has not been productive when he is batted. 40 plate appearances, Ruiz, a batting average of just 189, an on-base percentage of just 250, a slugging percentage of just 216. I mean, those numbers are putrid, but he has only struck out three times in 40 plate appearances. So he's putting balls in play. He's got to hit balls harder. He's got to square up. He's got to barrel baseballs more. But I think there is something too. hey, he is making contact and he makes contact a bunch on Tuesday night and it ends up working out to the tune of three infield singles. Josh Bell drew two more walks on Tuesday night. I am fascinated by this skyrocketing in Josh Bell's walk total on the year. So Bell went 0 for 3, but he drew the two walks, including an RBI walk. Uh, Bell in the Nats two-run fifth, a one-out six-pitch bases loaded walk for a 4-1 Nats lead, despite having been down in the count of 1.12. And Bell in the bottom of the seventh drew a one-out five-pitch walk. His plate selection has been a lot better here lately, so much so that we have this. So Josh Bell on the season has 52 walks, 26 of the 52 walks. 50% have come since the start of August. Uh, Luis Garcia had two singles on Tuesday night. Bottom of the six, a single on a 1-2 pitch. And Garcia in an Nats four-run eighth inning, an opposite field single to left field on an 0-2 pitch to load the bases. The Nats starting pitcher in this 8-2 win over the Marlins was the Marlins killer on the Nationals pitching staff, Eric Fetty. Look, Eric Fetty overall has had a disappointing major league career. I mean, you have to say it like that. But if there's one thing he has done, it is kill the Marlins. He owns the Marlins. And a lot of that truthfully has to do with the Marlins just like perennially not being good. Okay. And this season is no different. The Marlins aren't good. The Marlins are especially a bad hitting team. But Eric Fetty feasts on the Marlins and he did it again on Tuesday night. Now, he only lasted for five innings. That would be the major nit to pick. But he allowed just one run in the five innings. He had eight strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just three hits, a homer, and two singles. He threw 95 pitches. That was the problem. 61 strikes versus 34 balls, but 95 pitches over five innings. He was not pitch efficient, but part of that was racking up eight strikeouts. Uh, Fetty retired 12 of the first 13 batters he faced in tossing four scoreless innings before giving up a run in the top of the fifth on a full count leadoff homer by Lewin Diaz to right field, despite him having been down to the count of 1.12. The homer was some shot. Uh, The homer went and projected 410 feet 
versus Dadkaz, but that was like basically the only major mistake Fetty made in this game. So Fetty did a good job. Again, it's the Marlins. Again, they're not very good, uh, but Fetty owns them, and Fetty was good on Tuesday night. I love eight strikeouts versus no walks. Eric Fetty now on the season over 25 starts, an ERA of 516. Not good. We know it. It's not been a good season for Fetty, but I will give him credit for this. He now has a career best 8.85 strikeouts per nine innings. He has been a better strikeout pitcher this season as compared to other seasons in his career. So maybe, just maybe, that's something you can work with here moving forward. But we got to see a lot more from Eric Fetty. And at some point, it has to stop just being about Fetty doing well against the Marlins and uh, Fetty doing well against other teams uh, in Major League Baseball. Good night for the Nats bullpen, too. Four relievers combined to allow one run in four innings with six strikeouts. Alberto Baldonado, a perfect top of the six. Andres Machado did give up a run in the top of the seventh on a leadoff homer by Luis Diaz on what was Diaz's second leadoff homer of the game. Uh, Machado then issued a hit-by-pitch of Alex Jackson, but Machado then recorded back-to-back strikeouts in recording three consecutive outs. Austin Voth tossed a perfect top of the eighth with two strikeouts. Wander Suero tossed a perfect top of the ninth with two strikeouts. Easy, breezy win for the Nats on Tuesday night. There have not been many of these uh, this season. Something else with the Nats, too. Jordy Mercer is finally back. Uh, Boy, was he out for a while. Uh, The Nats on Monday reinstated Mercer from the 10-day injured list. He had been on the 10-day IL since July 24th, retroactive to July 21st with a left calf strain. Uh, It was interesting. The Nats put Mercer back on that 10-day IL in late July off having just gotten Mercer back from the 10-day IL. Uh, The Nats on July 16th reinstated Mercer from the 10-day IL, which he had been on since July 2nd, retroactive to July 1st with a strain right quadriceps. Now, Jordan Mercer is a veteran player. Uh, The Nationals very clearly slow walked, activating him off the 10-day IL. He probably could have been activated a while ago. But, you know, you now have rosters having expanded in this month of September, although rosters have not expanded uh, like they used to expand. You now get up to 28 players on your active roster as opposed to 40, which which was the way things were in September's in previous years prior to the 2020 MLB season. But the other thing is, like, the guys who the Nationals would have called up in September's past to fill up those September roster spots, those guys have already been called up, okay? Like the Lane Thomases and the Riley Adamses and the Kbert Ruizes and the Josiah Grays. Like, they're all here at the major league level. So what you're left with are the Nationals this September basically having used the expanded roster to activate 30-somethings who had been stashed on the 10-day injured list. First, Alex Avila, uh, now Jordy Mercer, and Mercer did contribute to the cause on Tuesday night. He and the Nats' four-run eighth inning drew a pinch, five-pitch, bases-loaded walk for a 5-2 Nats lead. Game three against the Marlins at Nationals Park, Wednesday afternoon at 105. A battle of Rodgers, Josh Rogers versus Trevor Rogers. Well, the Orioles now two losses shy of another 100-loss season, what would be a third consecutive 100-loss season in terms of seasons in which you can lose 100 games. Obviously, the 2020 season was a season in which you could not lose 100 games, but the Orioles are staring right down the barrel at another 100-loss campaign. Of course, the O's have been staring right down that barrel for quite some time. Uh, A 7-2 loss to the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night in game one of a three-game series. O's now a Major League Worst of 46 and 98 with a Major League Worst run differential of minus 
262. Not much to this game. The big three did each inflict some damage on the Yankees. Ryan Mountcastle, a two-out full count RBI double in the bottom of the fifth, despite having been down to the count at 1.12. Cedric Mullins had a double. Austin Hayes drew two walks. All three guys have been locked in lately. Been very nice to see that. Uh, But Trey Mancini left the game due to right abdominal soreness. He's been banged up a lot this season. You wonder if it may be shut down time soon for Trey Mancini. I mean, he has more than answered the bell this year off missing all of last season due to colon cancer. Uh, The season now is over for Jorge Mateo. And this is unfortunate. Jorge Mateo's season is over. The O's on Tuesday put Mateo on the 60-day injured list with right lumbar inflammation. So the O's on August 5th claimed Mateo off waivers from the San Diego Padres. Jorge Mateo, lightning fast. He had been, at one time, a very well-regarded prospect, but he came to the O's having struggled at the Major League level. Came to the O's with terrible offensive numbers at the Major League level. Over 121 career regular season plate appearances. He had an OPS of 545, which is abysmal. And get this, he had three walks versus 38 strikeouts. Again, abysmal. But Mateo, over 116 plate appearances for the O's this season, a batting average of 280, an on-base percentage of 328, a slugging percentage of 421. Look, he's not Juan Soto, but Jorge Mateo was decent. And Jorge Mateo, like I said, had 116 plate appearances with the O's of having had 121 career regular season plate appearances. So his number of plate appearances with the O's was more or less the same as his number of plate appearances prior to coming to the O's. And Mateo was much better with the O's. He showed progress. He showed improvement. Now, you know, you have to see a lot more from this guy. I mean, the sample is very small with him, but he was effective. Like he hit a little bit here for the Orioles and the O's may just have something here with Jorge Mateo. And I tell you something else about Mateo. The guy offers, wait for it, position flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. Jorge Mateo for the Orioles this season played shortstop, played second base, played third base, played right field, played left field. So a guy who can play all of those positions and who can run like crazy and who can hit a little bit is a valuable player. Now, I will caution you on the hitting with Mateo. His BABIP, his batting average on balls in play with the Orioles, a sky high, 359. Uh, BABIP is usually around 300. When it's well above 300, that can be a sign of you just hitting into a lot of good luck. And so I do wonder about Jorge Mateo and the offensive numbers he put up with the O's. And is there going to be a regression to the mean come the 2022 season? But the O's are in a position in which the O's can find out, you know, I want to see some more of Jorge Mateo. I thought he did a pretty good job overall with the O's this season. Game two against the Yankees, Wednesday night at 7.05. John Means versus former Oriole, Nestor Cortez Jr. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 146, will be a pregame show. It will be a show that prepares you intellectually, physically, 
emotionally, spiritually, legally for game number two in the Washington football team's 2021 regular season, home to the New York Giants Thursday night at 8.20. I will give you my rhyming keys for a Washington win. I will have a special guest for you, Dan Schneier, co-host of the Big Blue Banter podcast, which is an all-22 film-based pod on the Giants. Uh, Dan's also a fantasy sports editor for CBS Sports. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Heineke, Big Tay coming in.